I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome to a very, very special episode of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's the revisit once again, in which we go back in time to Irish albums from the years between 1980 and 2005. It's an even more special episode because I'm currently smothered with a head and chest cold, so I sound pretty awful. Joining me as always is Kieran McGuinness from Delorentos. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. Good. I don't um, have a call, though. You look great, though. You sound great. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a journalist slash DJ heavy table this week. We have Niall Byrne, aka Niall or Nine. How's it going? How are you? I'm good, man. Good. Um, Nadina Regan. Hi. Hello. <laughs> did, did did he get his, get your name right? <laughs> he did. And um, we have Dan Hegarty. I'm not going to ask you how you are because I know you're you're fine, and you don't sound so you've had cold at all. So yeah. Thanks. I'm kind of easing into it. Uh, what year is it, Kieran? It's uh, 1985. All right. And um, it was the year that Gorbachev took over. Gorbachev, Gorb- Gorbachev, I'll ask him how he pronounces his name. Uh, Gorbachev takes over the USSR, We Are the World. It was the middle of the charity things, and loads of charity stuff. Sally Field did the embarrassing speech, you know, you love me, you really love me. Uh, born in the USA, best song ever with two chords. He has two chords. Uh, it was released and massive. Um, Various other things, Martina Natarazalova won loads of stuff. Um, who was the music albums of the year? Uh, well, big albums that year were uh, included uh, Kate Bush, Hounds of Love, uh, Phil Collins, No Jacket Required, of course, uh, Run DMC, King of Rock, uh, Whitney Houston's debut, uh, The Smiths, Meet His Murder, Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair, and Grace Jones' Island Life, among others. 
So Runyon C King of Rock, that was uh, second album. That's it's tricky and all that kind of stuff. I think so. Yeah, I'm just not the other way. I listened to the whole thing. Really yeah, amazing. I was singing. Yeah, it's tricky. No, I could do it now. I don't want to derail the podcast already, but we're all Phil Collins fans with the table, right? I mean, <coughs> I'm to- I'm totally a Phil Collins fan after years of, of denial. I'm absolutely <laughs> a, a Phil Collins fan. I am wearing my studio sweatpants. <gasps> I was about to say, <laughs> studio is a banger. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw, I, I, saw that, I saw that recently at a, at a covers gig, and uh, I was like, this, "Who is this? This is brilliant!" And it was, yeah. of course, it's brilliant. Phil Collins. Our, our club light Numo is basically built on the foundation that uh, there are Phil Collins songs that should be played on every night, um, and that's kind of how we operate, really. Like Susudio or Easy Lover, or even in the air tonight. You know, I mean, there's so many actual great chat. I think the problem with Phil Collins is he's a bit of a not, you know, he's a bit of an annoying. <laughs> Dude, Is so it true um, that he used to ring up journalists who gave him bad reviews and give out to them. Uh, that would sound. That he does look like the kind of man I, who would, I would do not that. Like to be given out to by yeah. Phil Collins. I, I don't know if you've seen now. He's 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 back uh, in his reunion phase, and he was on. I think Jimmy Fallon there about a month was, ago. Yeah. Well, he has a new yeah. memoir. He looks like the the cranky man in the pharmacy. He totally <laughs> looks like he's like he he forgot his subscription his prescription, and he <laughs> and they won't give it to him, and he's just like fuck's sake. I really like. I need this for my drumming. You know, like you, you can't. Well, yeah, I'm going to talk to your manager. Yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine that. Either. And the name of that memoir? Uh, I think it's something called. I think it's called Not Dead Yet. It is. Which is the name of his tour? <laughs> Do I win a prize? Yeah. Uh, you get two tickets to Not Dead Yet by Phil. So that's setting the bar pretty low. He's like, you know, unless he's like a corpse on stage, you're getting something out of it. Well, we won't be talking yeah, about him. Yeah, but contrary to um, what was sort of on record for a while, apparently he did not send a fax to his wife. I was going to say divorce his wife. By so fact. he's argued that point. I think he sent a fax to iron out some of the finer details of their divorce but it was mm. erroneously reported in the press that that was how he decided to break up with her but we're in, living in a post-fact world now aren't we? So who cares I, yeah, yeah he faxed divorce, divorce, divorce anyone facts. I've never sent a fax to anybody I've sent faxes really? years ago yeah, yeah. 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 contracts boring. I still send faxes for fun <laughs> really? yeah just for fun. Just right? for fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, just pick random numbers and then just <laughs> please tell you to stop doing this stuff. <laughs> well, we'll probably get into our shortlist now, I guess. <laughs> Let's talk more about faxes. Just forget about it. Okay. Okay. Another, tough, another tough shakedown, Kira. Yeah, um, actually a big tie as well, but we got through it through uh, Nadine's uh, um, choosing of Paul Brady. But uh, uh, we had The Blades, Last Man in Europe. We have Micro Disney, The Clock Comes Down the Stairs. We have Paul Brady. Back to the Centre, Blue in Heaven, All the God's Men, and finally, uh, The Golden Horde with the Chocolate Biscuit Conspiracy. So that's our five albums for this year. And what didn't make it out of high-profile contention? Um, well, it's funny, actually. Um, a lot of the, there was a lot of trad albums, like really big trad albums, like Moving Hearts. Um, they had a huge trad album this year. Um, Clannad, because I, I when I was researching the year, I went on, um, there's, an, there's a Best Albums or whatever, and you just click on the large flag for the year. And it goes through um, all the, the kind of releases that were kind of international from the year. And there was nine uh, this year. And the top rated one by aggregate scores was Clannad's Macalla album. And I was yeah. thinking, oh, that's definitely going to get in. And but then in a lifetime with Bono on it. Yeah, yeah, it did, mm, yeah I which suppose, is yeah. a great song, in fairness. But it didn't, it didn't, it didn't make it. I was surprised that one didn't make it in. But you were, you were thinking. No. Yeah, I was kind of surprised the second album by the Pogues didn't make it in. Um, Run, um, what's it called? Run, Sodomy and the Lash. Run, Sodomy and the Lash. That's the one. It did, did get votes. It just didn't get through the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had, a, I actually really enjoyed going back to listen to that. So uh, I got something out of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the second. Nobody album, else did. Huh? I think that's the second album. We did. We second did. album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has Dirty Old Town on it and. Uh, 
Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, do you know what it reminded me of? It was like one of those albums where you kind of listen to it and you're like, if I was living in London now, I'd be listening to this all the time. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's loads of references to London. There's loads of, uh, mm. you know, it, it, it does place it. I think it's a really nice distillation of what the Pogues were really good at. To some extent, though, I, I thought that one of the reasons maybe broadly that we arrived at the selection we arrived at is, and maybe this is a controversial point, but a lot of the bands that we're talking about if not all of them, could be conceived in some way as having failed to really break the mainstream or failed to achieve the goals that they set out for themselves. So even though Paul Brady is in there, he still talks about how he feels like he didn't get to the status of maybe some other people like, say, Elton John or whatever. You know, if you read back through interviews, you'll see that. And the Blades are certainly a really good example of a band that could and should have been bigger. Uh, Micro Disney, Blue in Heaven. Like, you're looking at these bands going, well, there's actually a lot of bands here who could have been bigger. And the thing for me about the Pogues and Van Morrison in a, in a strange way is... I've already kind of sat with those albums years ago and kind of grappled with what they're doing and seen whether I'm into it or not. So in some ways, going back to like Micro Disney, a band that like I should have known more about but didn't was actually mm. more interesting. I actually asked loads of people that I met in the last week. I take the dog for a walk in uh, Dublin into a park and a lot of people uh, I, I go to the park with are of an older age than me and would be more familiar. And any time I mention any of the albums, they were like, Oh yeah, it never quite worked out, you know, that kind of way. There was a lot of that talk from these bands, particularly The Blades and Blue and Heaven, um, were mentioned in that regard, and The Golden Horde, to a lesser extent. Well, let's kick it off with you then, Kieran, shall we? My album that I'm saying is uh, Blue and Heaven, All the Gods Men. Blue in Heaven. Yes. Guinness's favourite band of all time. <laughs> okay, well, um, I don't know about that, but um, actually, I was really surprised by this album. Um, so this is uh, Dublin 4 Police uh, from Churchtown, apparently, um, and uh, they were signed to Mother Records. That's um, uh, Bono and the Edges, I think, label. Yeah. Um, and this is their first album, All the God's Men, recorded by Martin Hannett from Factory Records. So that's, you know, Joy Division, everything from Joy Division up to... Is it Depeche um, Mode? I don't know. I, 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 that's what I thought of. First time I, I heard his name, I thought he did Depeche Mode. He might have. He also oh, did. You know what? I think it was actually New Order. He did New Order, it. I think, definitely. And uh, he also did, you know, everything up to um, Happy Mondays. So, like, there's quite a, you know, diverse kind of amount of stuff in that. But uh, it's very like you 2 It's very like the Smiths. He sounds like Marcy a lot. And it's kind of dark indie pop or something, that kind of buzz. Um and I got a real surprise by it. Um, it's it's very moody. It's very atmospheric. It's got a lot of good stuff in it. It's, lot, it's very produced now, I suppose. And the first track on it sometimes is is a brilliant song. It's absolutely great. I really really love it. Um, and I can I think I just kind of gave the album more of a chance as a result of kind of listening to that. Now I will say there's loads of you know. Uh, as I say, Smiths in it, but there isn't the lyrics of Smiths. You know, there's 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 lots of U two in it, and there isn't sort of the I don't know the kind of connective thing that you two have on every album. Um, 
there isn't that. It's like just under the level of all those kind of things. There's a lot of Joy Division in there as well, but that's kind of the bass just sounds like, <laughs> loads of the bass sounds like that. Um, Did you think of the horrors? Because I started thinking of the horrors. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, d- I didn't think of the horrors, but now you say it, yeah. But I think it, there's something about the way that, yeah, it's kind of, the low ends are really boosted and all that kind of stuff. But Yeah, th- I mean, that's, to me, that album is the <coughs> authentic version of all those, uh, maybe four or five years ago where a lot of albums were coming out like that sounded a bit like that, like the horrors, uh, even girls' names to a lesser extent. Um, and those albums certainly, maybe, were inspired by albums like this you never know or artists like this well it's kind of intriguing I think because like I'd, I've never heard of this band whatsoever like, and I was surprised because it's much more polished and kind of accomplished than than um, than a lot of you know, a lot of bands that have come since I suppose it is an interesting thing though I mean like the, the names that you, you guys mentioned there like I think some of the records even that we've encountered so far doing this sound very dated and like sound trapped they sound very much like this is so up it's time that it actually is kind of cringy to listen to here and there but this kind of drowned in reverb thing and just that kind of, you know, like almost indecipherable at times uh, holds up today because the shoegaze thing is still quite prevalent and there's lots of bands that kind of do it very, very well. So in that regard, I found this quite palatable to go back to. But at the same time, kind of going with what Nadine was saying earlier on, I do feel like a lot of the bands on this list, you can see why they didn't become world beaters and you can see why they didn't really break yeah. out too much. If there were other bands like this around at the time, you, you, they would have had to do more to stand out in those terms. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly that's how I felt I I enjoyed the album but I also felt that it was lacking in something that would have lifted it uh, above other albums or made it a bit more memorable you often wonder though what the production uh, at the time what that did how that changed the songs did it change them that much and I guess you don't really know if you were actually going to see them regularly because like Blue in Heaven went on to be the Blue Angels changed quite a lot got a lot more mainstream that like songs like Get It Back Candy and stuff like that that, that actually did crack Irish radio anyway but uh, this, this is a different thing altogether yeah it's it's funny because I mean this is going to sound like the most faint praise that you could ever give anyone but I've written down pleasant listen oh that's harsh <laughs> ah, but the thing about it is is and that's kind of what I thought like I could listen to this like you said palatable like it was kind of easy to listen to like you know and that's because of the production but you, you made a point about the reverb and that's one of the songs I think it's the last track uh, yes yeah, slowly and um First of all, it sounds like Marcy all the way through, which is just a bit mad um, how much it sounds like. But that's supposed to be like, you know, gentle and this kind of like, you know, affecting song. But the reverb and all that kind of stuff, it kind of makes it, it kind of distances it a little bit, I think, from the listener, you know. I think there's a little bit of that like throughout the album. And as you said, it's just it's just missing something to put it into the like, and then push it across the line into into great. But I think it's good. So... Actually, I was really surprised that, that it actually got into this because I was like, oh, I actually really like liked it. I, yeah. It was one of my favourites of the okay. bunch. And it was the one that I'd probably pluck out today and want to put on on Spotify or a CD player just because it feels to me of a piece with the kind of work that bands that obviously came after Blue and Heaven were, or have been releasing over the past few years, whether you're talking about Interpol or editors or the horrors, there's that sense of... Uh, sort of a swathe of fog or something curling around the guitars like it's as though there's a little space 
between uh, the band maybe and the audience and it's very sort of atmospheric and I love that about it and I do think there's more passion in this record as well than there is funnily enough in the Micro Disney record because that one seems a bit more detached and sardonic and I actually get more of the Morrissey qualities of Micro Disney funnily enough than I do of Blue in Heaven okay, yeah. and I loved uh, the feeling of coming to this and really knowing very little about them and thinking this is really cool I, w- I would totally listen to this in 2016 I mean, so you said this, uh, Dan, that they went on to form another band, the Blue Angels. I mean, did you see them live? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I would have seen them a couple of times. They released another album after this called Explicit Material. Yeah, um, I saw that, the Blue in Heaven. Uh, yes. But no, the Blue Angels were, were a little bit different. I suppose a little bit more palatable, a little <laughs> bit more straightforward. The, the, I, I think it was more focused on the songs. Also, it was a, it was, you know... Was seven or eight years on as well, so the, 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 you know styles, production, values had, had changed. So they were essentially, you know, some of the same people in the band, but a different band. If mm, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, they also had. They were also completely dyed blonde. Yeah. I saw the video footage and I was like, oh my god, they don't look at all like what I thought they were going to look yeah, like. Yeah, they didn't either. And the singer looks like <laughs> he's so happy. Yeah, but as well, like you know, sometimes you watch bands. Now, like you, know, you watch bands with the hindsight of you know 2016 or whatever, and I was looking back at, at um, <laughs> I was looking at the video, and I just thought the singer looked really unlikely, you know, to be kind of this kind of emotive kind of singer, you know, not not that he's he is pretty close to Howard Jones, who actually released uh, was a Dream into Action in the same year. Um, Maybe. In my <laughs> opinion, no, <laughs> no idea. No, but you he, don't he, remember Howard he, Jones? Uh, no, I remember Howard Jones. I'd like to get to know you well. Yeah, go walking around and shaking <laughs> people's hands. Big hair. Yeah, uh, I aspire to it sometimes, accidentally. Um, but but I suppose yeah, with him, he he kind of he he's had an interesting career. He he went on to form Dirt Records, that release albums by Ravelino, Sack, Butterfly Effect, which is an outstanding record. The Idiots. Loads of loads of stuff like that. So oh, yeah. he, he's uh, he's been immersed in music for a long time. Shane O'Neill, that's right. Yeah, yeah Shane O'Neill. Yeah, and that's, that's interesting that he's connected to all those people. And also, you know, uh, that more the records. You know, I I can imagine. I can just imagine, like you know, uh, you know, the Edge and Bono in their new Apple-like Beatles. You know, uh, office. They're like, let's sign some bands. I can imagine going out and like. Them as musicians signing loads of bands that won't, you know, wouldn't sell records. Well, you know? it's funny. You, you, now I was talking about uh, the Golden Horde earlier on, and I guess their chance, their their album, their their the, the real album that they put together, their self-titled album came a number of years later, and that was on Mother Records. And it, it was it's actually a really solid album. It's a really really good album. I'm trying to think of the year 1990. 1990. Yeah, yeah. 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 And the that Golden was Horde, Endless Weekend, uh, Friends in Time, and probably their best tune, Hundred Boys. Oh, Hundred yeah. Boys, well, which is just still a brilliant tune well do you want to do the Golden Horde next then sure uh, we can move into the Golden Horde now sure and we'll have this game they sound like right here we're gonna turn it upside down the whole world upside down upside So that was Golden Horde, uh, a terrific, terrific album title. 
the chocolate biscuit conspiracy. Uh, Niall, you're unfortunately it does remind me a little bit of uh, a certain Limp Bizkit uh, title, but uh, <laughs> An album we won't we won't go there. <laughs> Wayward youth. Sorry. <laughs> Well, starfish chocolate water, or something. yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so the Golden Horse album, uh, the chocolate biscuit more. conspiracy. I knew it. I could tell by it. <laughs> what does that mean? Okay, okay. Let's, let's sorry, guys. I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't X. have brought a limp biscuit up. I'm really <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Biggest limp biscuit yeah. fan in the world. Biscuit with you with your baseball hat on backwards. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> my gang signs. <laughs> my choreographed dancers dressed the same. Yeah, it's all good. Sorry, Noel. Please rescue us. Um, sorry, yes. So uh, the Chocolate Biscuit Conspiracy, uh, it's kind of a punk album with some garage and surf rock influences. As far as I know, it was their first kind of release um, officially. Uh, it's kind of a cross between the Ramones and the B-52s. I know we were listening to uh, the YouTube version of the album and it's uh, it's very crackly and uh, very lo-fi. But I kind of enjoyed it for that. I actually really enjoyed that aspect of it. Same. What I really liked about it as well, it was that it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, you, the other part of it was, I wasn't even sure if you if you could even figure out it was an Irish band. <laughs> there was really no references. It's very enthralled to American pop culture. There's a lot of references to conspiracy theories in it. So we got like Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, UFOs, song called Communist for the FBI, uh, references to the Marx Brothers, and the actor Larry Talbot, amongst um, other things. And there's also some spoken word features from uh, the American author Robert Anton Wilson who lived in Dublin at the time and the band uh, brought in so yeah uh, I really enjoyed it like I said it wasn't very f- uh, it wasn't very serious um, it seemed like a total uh, good buzz I'm not sure I, w- I hadn't heard any about this before but actually in the context of talking to a few people um, the name Simon Carmody came up quite a lot um, when I mentioned it first so he seemed to be very well known around that time mm. Uh, I, I I really enjoyed it. I, I, do you know the, the the first track? I think is the weakest track. I think it, yeah. it kind of lets it down a bit because I think it is a like it's much more interesting than the first track. Because if you just listen to that, it's just so throwaway, you know. Yeah. But yeah. the rest of it is kind of like a mix of throwaway and interesting, you know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I kind of felt, but that. that's what I was. That's what I felt like. It was like a cross between the Ramones and the B fifty twos. It was something. The B fifty twos. It sounded like it was the guy. Something like that. Yeah. It yeah. sounded like the guy from the B fifty two solo album. I was expecting <laughs> to just Love Shack at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but your man Robert Allen Wilson, the future. The <laughs> I love the B fifty two. Absolutely adore the B fifty twos as well. I don't tin mind roof the B-52s. That is what she is saying. And actually, yeah, a tin roof rusted. And at the end of one of the songs, he says something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> Does the he? First, yeah. He okay. just says something that sounds like that, but I, I, there was a, at the, at, you know uh, the way that the melody goes in. Everybody's talking about the chocolate biscuit. It sounds exactly like everybody's talking about the stormy weather by Sonic Youth. You know, it, which is um, right, uh, teen, Teenage Riot started Teenage Riot. Okay, and I was going, that's that sounds so much like it. And then I checked, and they played with Sonic Youth, and I de- I definitely think now <laughs> that Sonic Youth stole it because it sounds so similar. Right. But you know what I mean? Everybody's talking about the stormy weather. They started you know, anyway. Everybody's talking about the so chocolate sued, biscuit, man. You're so sued. Definitely not getting sued. But anyway, I just like anyway, a bit of Sonic Youth in there randomly as well. Yeah, I just really enjoyed it. What do you guys think? Other than that, any other? There's a brilliant version of the chocolate biscuit live at HMV Unplugged. Um, from years later and it's hilarious it, it kind of borders on pantomime but it's I guess it's supposed to they're having a bit of a laugh um, and uh, he's kind of he. I don't know if you could say he berates the crowd but he gives out to them for being not as lively as they might do 
It's uh, yeah. Look, it, just, they were just one of those really underrated bands. Like I put them up right up there with Sultans of Ping and people like that. They were a super band. Uh, they they were actually they went on after this to be to be managed by Ian Wilson, who, who produced me for a long oh. time. Look, real gentleman. Um, but the other thing is the fanning session that they did that year or the year after. I've repeated a couple of times. Uh, uh, but requested by people, and w- when I bumped into any of the band, particularly Simon, and I, I mentioned this to him, he seems absolutely bewildered at why anyone would be in any way interested in the band anymore. And it's like because yeah. he had some really good tunes. That's why. But like, it, I mean, it, it's striking if you look on SoundCloud. There's a huge number of songs from the Golden Horde that are actually n- have never been released. They're all just demo versions. Yeah, there's a 56 track there. compilation of the rarities 56? on, on wow. Bandcamp. Yeah, wow, yeah, okay, and 40 one of them are on SoundCloud apparently so. he's got a solo album that never came out either but anyway right. there's another thing yeah, I, I was talking to somebody about the Golden Horde and they said their first uh, contact with them was actually uh, Stephen Malcolmus and the Jicks gig where uh, in Dublin where uh, the band played a Golden Horde cover and they were all pleased with themselves and they were like was like, and nobody reacted and it was like do you not guys not know the Golden Horde it was like because nobody in the crowd knew who they were Jeez, but that's the interesting thing about uh, this podcast especially you know you've got a lot of albums that maybe you know they might be on CD somewhere they might exist in different places but it's kind of hard to find them in the end it, it like it looked like there was not a lot of the stuff about the Golden Horde uh, but there actually was quite a lot just not a lot of the music there's a blog spot that looks really active yeah. and has a lot of videos from, on YouTube as well like I said the Bandcamp stuff was there um, Facebook page as well so there's loads of things out there about the band do, do they remind anyone else slightly of the Ramones? yeah yeah, yeah. Big time. Uh, kind of that, uh, it's like the Ramones mixed with kind of the surf rock thing, you know. Uh, aside from the fact that it, 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 like the recording on YouTube sounded like an already old recording that uh, ended up uh, on, the, on the album that we actually listened to, it could it could be from the fifties, it could be from the sixties, it could be like a retroist thing from the nineties or even from the two thousand. You know, it doesn't it doesn't it isn't placed in it in a, it isn't really placed in the eighty in the mid eighties. It doesn't sound like any of the other albums. And there's a, a weird thing as well because your man uh, is doing the spoken word stuff sometimes it sounds like jokes sometimes it's like reading from it looks, sounds like it's reading from police reports or something that yeah, I had to check it, that was the way it was supposed to be because I yeah. was like I kept looking to see if there was a different tab playing something yeah, exactly. that I hadn't realised yeah. yeah I was like what's, what is that because it doesn't it just goes throughout the whole song but it's, I think it's, it's kind of interesting because it kind of grounds it, like it brings it into a nor- like it's that's obviously more normal and straightforward and someone speaking kind of very you know clear diction, and then your man going mental over it and singing in the background. It actually, it even even separates it even more. You know, well the band got kind of a hard time because you know I think Irish people were like, who, who does this guy think he is being a rock star? It's like, what well, isn't that kind of the point of, of totally some bands? Point. It's yeah. totally the point. Like, I mean, there, I remember them being in the papers because he got dragged off stage by the local parish parish priest somewhere in Ireland, <laughs> and I, I just think that, I think that's brilliant. Like, it should have happened more. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of weird though, that kind of weird juxtaposition, like assuming it is deliberate, it kind of reminded me of the butthole surfers here and there. And I mean, even like the the overall kind of nature of it actually took me back to my youth again, to a non-Limp Bizkit situation, uh, a, a better one. And I kind of thought about like the Banana Splits theme tune and things like that. Like it just seemed to be like this completely crazy, raucous, over-the-top thing that didn't give a shit about being clean or conventional or, you know, like trying to satisfy people. And I, yeah, I, I really respect this record. I mean, it's a lot of fun to listen to. And once again, I find myself coming back and saying I can see why it wasn't number one in the charts or anything. But they just certainly didn't give a shit. And I really, really respect that. I thought it was a great record. I think it... it that EP culture, like it, it does breed a certain amount of, you know, experimentation. I think, and 
you know, just throw it on. That sounds good. People might, some people might like that. Whereas I think with an album, I don't know. I think I think maybe people overthink albums a lot whereas EPs maybe well, it's interesting allows because you to be freer we're kind of returning to a time now when it's probably more useful for bands to go with the sort of drip drip feed effect of releasing things because if you release an album now and then you wait another three years and you release another album the publicity cycle doesn't really work for you in that way anymore because it's all about Twitter and social media and small EPs getting more attention so if you want that sort of situation where as a band you're just generating a little bit of attention a lot of the time uh, funnily enough the EP is actually a more valuable form and if you look at a band like say Ash I mean they've kind of realised that and they've started doing all sorts of unusual uh, routes to kind of I suppose releasing they're doing like one song a week there for a while, they, they were yeah. for a little bit yeah and you kind of think why is a band like Ash doing that they're doing it because they're looking at a new model for the industry and they're trying to figure out how mm. to stay relevant and stay out there mm. what I liked about it was it, there was an element of um, your st- like uh, Actually, the the kind of things that the best albums give you is like you're stepping into somebody else's crazy world. Yeah, totally. And the female male vocals, and you felt like it was a bit of a gang going on. And that's like with some of the best bands, when you do listen to their albums, you do feel like there's something going on like that. And that's what I really liked about it the energy and the enthusiasm. Yeah. And while it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, it was really interesting. And I, and I was not aware of them in the first place. So, yeah. And that song, Black Flag, is an absolute belter. I, I just <laughs> thought that was brilliant. So we'll go with a band instead who've enjoyed a comeback in recent years after disappearing for quite a while. Uh, this is The Blades, and this is The Last Man in Europe. title track there from the blades in 1985 and i think we can all agree um you know it kind of reminds me of that like the way it kind of blasts in with just like horns and synths and everything just driving immediately off off the cuff in such a kind of a jaunty uppy way i'm it it sounds like a game show theme tune and it reminds me of uh, the going for gold theme tune which i think (laughs) we can all agree is the best thing Hans zimmer has ever done in his career Going for gold, the TV show. Did you know that Hans Zimmer did the theme tune? I didn't know that. Yeah. I made a cocktail for Henry Kelly in New York once. Tell us about <laughs> that. And he said, he said it was, so we were staying in the, this is true, we were staying in the, can, the Canadian consulate. In, uh, on, I did uh, not see that coming at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, when am I ever going to be able to tell a story ever? And uh, he came to stay with his son, who is just the loveliest little fella. And uh, he said, he was talking about a little drink or something. And I said, oh, well, I can make you a cocktail. I was working at a cocktail barman time and I made him a cocktail and he said it was one of the nicest cocktails he ever had and then I never saw him again <laughs> not that I was expecting to see him again but. Do you feel like you know, this is the time to try and reach out to him perhaps? Well me and Henry you know I feel like we connected in a way that only game show hosts and uh, you know musicians can ever connect. <laughs> Wasn't he on Game for a Laugh as well? Was he? Game for a Laugh had quite a few um, presenters as far as I remember I can't say I'm familiar no, right, the sure. Hans Zimmer thing though is like, like he's, he, it's been brought up before and he's very much like ah oh, it bought me a house you know oh. it's fine he's, he's grand he's moved on he, he's doing different things now he's okay I think I think he's yeah. doing alright yeah. yeah does he still have the house 
Uh, I don't know, but I know that he has an online, uh, you know, learn how to be a producer thing. There's a YouTube trailer for it I saw last week, and it, it feels like it's a parody, but it's not, because he seems like a crazy person in a good way. Like, it's weird. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, the Blades, who uh, precipitate all this all this strange game show Hans Zimmer talk. Yeah, Last Man in Europe. Um, this is, it's weird, because I found myself in kind of a similar position to Kieran today when I was listening to this, and I was like... I don't want to just say it's a pleasant listen because it's much more than that but it is very charming I think it's a very charming record and I think as I say it comes racing out the blocks with The Last Man in Europe and it's it's like I found myself reading old reviews of this and the one that was in Hot Press magazine by the late George Byrne is a particularly good read and you can the enthusiasm that he had for this record is, is absolutely absolutely gigantic like he makes the point where he says that Paul Cleary uh, of the Blades has such an innate grasp of what constitutes a great pop song that he leaves just about every songwriter in the country standing make no mistake this is pop and he puts pop in like you know capital letters with an exclamation mark to make the point he finishes up uh, this kind of part of the review by saying that his choruses are deceptively simple or simply deceptive and have that legendary quality of an unidentified recall you know why am I singing this song and what is that song I've often been kept awake for hours trying to place a particular hook and I'm afraid Paul Cleary will interrupt my sleep for years to come which I think is an absolutely beautiful line and I think it's earned too I think that Paul Cleary in, in every one of these tracks has at least one moment where he just blows you away whether it's with a hook or just a really really deft line and there's just so much energy in this and it manages to be both kind of arresting and upbeat while also dealing with some kind of downbeat subject matter. I mean, a song like Down Market still has relevance in a post-recession world with people where they can't get jobs. And it's in, it's kind of one of those, like, they're very interesting band with an interesting story. They were dropped by two labels en route to this record coming out. It kind of signaled the end rather than the beginning. And they disappeared for many years. Uh, their comeback in 2013 was hailed and they sold out the Olympia twice, I believe, Pay Electric Picnic after that and are still kind of doing stuff, still making new music. And it seemed that a lot of people were very, very happy for them to come back. And they are kind of one of those Irish bands that around the time they were like hailed as they're going to be as big as, you know, like as anybody else. And then for whatever reason, they just weren't in U2 kind of rows. Well, a lot of Irish bands didn't. A lot of people kind of thought of them as the Irish version of the jam. And even themselves, when they were talking about, you know, U2, like Paul Cleary is very deferential and says, no, there was never any kind of major beef. You know, we kind of had some mild, immature spats, but overall... You know, we we all know who won that battle. He said. So. Yeah, I don't know. Deferential. I like. No. <laughs> well, I'd say there's a lot of the story still to be told, and I, I think the words you know generally used about Paul Cleary when he's talking about you too is that he's a gentleman and he always is very sort of. Um, nice about their success but if you think about it the bands are playing on the same bill at times playing in Dublin and it must have been a very hard blow for the Blades to see their stars kind of fall while U2's rose I mean mm-hmm. I think that's just a very hard thing for any band to see so I think that you know they understand how talented they were so I think that that's probably the, the harsh point isn't it I think sometimes when you can see that your talent doesn't rival uh, another band's you can kind of say, fair enough, go your own way. And obviously not to take anything from you too, but the Blades, as I think they show on this album, like with a track like Down Market, could actually have gone a great long distance further than they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a superb track. And I mean, as we say, like, you know, it has that kind of, it's good for the radio. Like it, it gets you kind of like, it's very infectious, but it also has commentary. And I don't think it's too didactic either. I think it's I think it's just right. And there's lots of tracks in this record that, are, that kind of do the same thing. But I mean, they had lineup changes. They obviously had group problems. They snubbed a charity event that was pretty big, Self Aid. In was it eighty five or eighty six? Which you two were on that bill, I believe. So I mean, like, were they very <coughs> much trying to be iconoclastic and just be like, you know, anti-establishment or whatever? Like, did did it cost them, or was it just a case of some things take off and some things don't? I guess the hardest thing for them has probably been 
YouTube being mentioned every time they're mentioned. Yeah, and sorry. I mean, I, I, I guess I guess it's difficult for, for sometimes for you two to hear it. Oh, we did this and they, they didn't. But I think any band that formed in Ireland from, from the year 1980 to 1995, there's going to be some sort of bridge mm. <laughs> to, but, to but U2. But outside Ireland, like everyone talks about U2. When we go, when we, when we play, you know, anywhere in the world, um, they want to talk. They want to how you know. They want to know what. what well, I mean, I remember being in America, <laughs> mad, and you know. talking to a guy from Kansas, and he'd never heard of Ireland. He'd heard of England, but he'd, he'd just about, and he'd heard of you too. So it's just like he'd never heard of the country, but knew the band and it, knew the songs, knew lots of them. Changing now, though, everyone wants to talk about Conor McGregor or Seamus well, from true, WWE. Yeah. Um, but actually, one of the things I always think about the Blades, and I don't know if this is a fair comment or not, but it's certainly how I perceive it. Uh, I think when Bono and you 2 were coming out of the traps first, Bono had such a strong sense of self-belief, uh, as did the band. And to some extent, the Blades felt like a more modest proposition not that they didn't believe in themselves or their talent but they might not have pushed it in people's faces in quite mm -hmm. the same way and you two were very keen to establish themselves in America which you know really sealed their fate as being a global kind of prospect and I don't think the Blades quite saw their moves in quite the same way and certainly when it came to things like TV shows and stage shows and that I mean Bono was all over it you know I mean he really understood what he wanted to be as a front man and I think being a front man is it's such a it's such a huge step to make you know from being a singer to actually commanding the stage in that way and you actually read of you know even people like Axel Rose like studying uh, other people to, to try and figure out how to get the moves to really make an impression and maybe at that point the Blades were simply too modest in their own decisions about what they were going to do to really strike out there I mean even if you look at Boyzone appearing on The Late Late Show the way they did with that terrible dancing I mean in this kind of iconic thing I but dance, they still I dance like that but they still, <laughs> they still did it you know what I mean they still risked everything you have to risk um, and maybe that was a, something of a problem. Well, I don't know. I just, I, I guess f for me, I was I was listening to that car, uh, that, that album in the car last night, and uh, I hadn't listened to it in a long, long time. Um, but I guess it's just a different ethos. I'm not disagreeing with you, by the way. It, it, it was a no, different ethos, um, and just wildly, it kind of, as you said, wildly different personalities as well. But it, it is, a, it's a super album. It's kind of. I could, you know, sometimes I remember one person said to me, "There's too much going on," and I come, well, I don't know about that because if you listen to some Arcade Fire albums, there's a lot going on there too, and it works, and I think it works for on this album too. Well, I, I, to my uh, to my shame, I've never listened to any Blades. I know Ghost of a Chance, <clears throat> and I was really surprised that Ghost of a Chance wasn't on it, and then I couldn't really understand as well. I guess I found this a. The first couple of times I listened to the album, I just thought it was quite all over the place. You know, by the fourth track in, you got a reggae song. There's you know, five scat, yeah. five tracks in, you're looking. You know, so and by the last track is uh, sounds like a spando ballet song, and I was just like, what is going on? You know, as I listened to it more, I kind of, I kind of, I didn't mind. Like, there's a song called "Talk About Listening," and um, it's kind of reggae, and I wasn't really into that. And there's a song called "That's Not Love," which just sounds like the most pop. Like it's, just, I, I was just surprised by how pop it was. You know, for a you know, a guitar, Irish guitar band. I just thought, it was, I just, without listening to it, I thought it would be something else. But then as it went on, um, the songs that really stood out to me, like um, uh, Got Soul, which is like the fifth or sixth song, um, Down Market, um, and then Those Were the Days as well. Um, and there's a song called Chase to Stop as well. And I know this, they're gr just, I just think they're brilliant, you know, but I did think there was a little bit of, I don't know. It's lack of cohesion. Yeah, lack of cohesion, but also it kind of felt like a compilation album. And 
like the best of the blade sort of thing, which I and then I, I couldn't really, I didn't really know why that was either. And then I went back and read their history, and you know they got signed in nineteen eighty, they released a single. Nineteen eighty one, they released a single. Then they got dropped by the label. Then they floated around a bit for you know for a couple of years. Got signed again to Electra or something. Is that what you said? And yeah, then dropped again. Then and then they got dropped again. And then you know, so I can imagine how that would happen. So I, I, I wonder whether the the you know there was a, a deliberate you know <clears throat> maybe push by the label to. Um, to have more pop stuff in it, I don't know. Like the best parts of it, though, I absolutely love, and, and I think, I think, I, I think these al- out of all these albums, I can imagine going back to this and like letting it, you know, come over me a bit more, like discover it a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like a band in a hurry for sure. Even a track like uh, "Don't Break the Silence," you're just kind of like you can always imagine yourself closing a door on music notes, kind of like to keep them in the room because you're just like Jesus Christ, lads, relax. But I think that's kind of part of the charm. And I guess if they did have so much kind of head up about them, I think they executed it in a very, very good way. Um, no, what do you think of this record? Um, I was not totally familiar with the Blades, to be honest. Um, I was aware of them. So I guess I was surprised by how poppy it was more than anything else. You know, I always had this impression of this, you know, kind of punky, post-punk band that... Uh, from Dublin, but uh, that's not really what the album is at all. Um, but yeah, definitely, you mentioned the jam earlier on. Uh, Style Council was kind of what I was thinking of a lot in, in context of this album, for sure. Um, it's interesting to hear that, did they come back? For, they did a reunion they did, tour? They did an EP they, uh, last year, which was actually pretty new, good. New, new yeah, stuff. it's called Small Time. Um, oh, that's good. Actually, he came into my radio show to talk about it, and uh, like just a lovely, lovely man and really great uh, to see them back on the rise again. And then they played, uh, you mentioned the Olympia, I think it was, um, to packed out Mm. uh, audience there. And like they're just one of those bands that got away, you know. Mm. There's a certain ignorance in our own history in Mm. terms of music and it's not intentional, I don't think. Which is why the Revisit podcast is such a good idea because like, it's hard to find some of these albums, you know? It's kind of really cool doing homework like in this way because we're so used to this whole Spotify thing where yeah. it's like, you know, we just have everything and everything's available. And then suddenly I was like, I don't know how to get this album. And I was getting really <laughs> frustrated, yeah. you know? And it was it reminded me of when people talk sometimes about music when and how they went to certain record shops to get something and they traveled. And like a friend of mine, when, when I was growing up, a friend of mine was really into uh, Lenny Kravitz. And um, when he found out that the new Lenny Kravitz album was out, he drove from Skibbereen to Cork just to get it. He was like, I have to get it. Mm. Like, and he came back with it and he was like, I've got it. Like, and it was a two hour trip. Well, an hour and a half. So, you know, that was the kind of thing people did for music in, in those days. We'll move on to our fourth record, which is Micro Disney and the Clock Comes Down the Stairs, which sounds like this. You're a genius, you're a giant, you're a prince, you are the things you feel just so Okay, so Micro Disney, Dan Hagerty, tell us all about them. Yeah, Micro Disney are... I brought the CD with me. One of my copies of the CD, but this is... uh, Anyway, we'll get to this in a minute. No, look, Micro Disney are one of those bands that I I remember being name-checked a lot. And I remember just going, I I don't know this band. And, you know, back then, you know, you couldn't... If you didn't have a a cassette, a a vinyl or a CD of it, you you didn't have it. You you just didn't have it. So I didn't have it. Um, It was Keith Cullen from Satanta Records who name-checked them in an article in an interview once. And I kind of went, hmm, must check them out. And then a few other people mentioned them as well. Then... 
I was listening to a band called the High Lamas a bit. They'd released two albums. I love Hawaii and the one before that, Gideon Gay. And uh, as well, uh, Cocha Coughlin, who's, who's always interested me as a vocalist and scared the bejesus out of me as well. But he's a lovely fellow, but I remember interviewing him. He, he just, he's kind of a really nice guy, very, very interesting. But he just completely, I was terrified until I got <laughs> talking to him, but he's very nice. Anyway, so Fatima Mansions and Cocha Coughlin stuff as well. And then I, then I found out, oh, these guys were in a band together and it was Micro Disney. So around that time, it would have been 95, 96 a label called Ravola reissued the, 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 some of the Micro Disney albums. There was Everybody is Fantastic. The renamed Love Your Enemies. And um, it was called, it was called we, we, we Hate You South African Bastards. That's what it was originally called. <laughs> we titled. Hate You South African Bastards. Yeah. <laughs> that um, was the title of the album. And, and that, wow. that was the title of the album. The original what, what was the reason for that? No. <clears throat> Ah, uh, well, in joke, know, apartheid, <laughs> I'd imagine, or something like that. Um, but um, and then there was the clock came down the stairs. So I, I, I started in, in the order. Everyone, everybody's fantastic. Do like that. And then got to this. And it's kind of I remember thinking, you know, it, it's of it's 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 certainly I know it's not. It was released over 10 years ago because it sounds older to me. It sounds like a pop record. And I was listening to the vocals on it and I just went. They don't sound like vocals that you'd expect to hear on a poppy kind of record. It would just sounded a little bit bizarre to me, although I, I did really, really like it. And it was something that I came across again a few years later uh, when, when I heard uh, an album by an Australian guy called Ben Lee called Breathing Tornadoes. Again, different type of thing, but again, another vocal that didn't really suit or I didn't expect to hear gliding along at, uh, on top of a pop tune. But it's an interesting album, it, it, you know, I think there's a lot of people that go, oh, it's, you know, albums are timeless, so therefore they're brilliant. Not every, lots of albums aren't timeless and that are brilliant. I, I, I love this. I mean, there's, I kind of get muddled up with a lot of stuff from Micro Disney now. I forget what's on what album. But I know, you know, Birthday Girl and stuff like mm. that. Let me get oh, sorry. I'm, the, the, I'm the really rubbing So I can cheat. <laughs> the inlay um, in card, and this is amazing, by the way. Uh, can I just read you a tiny bit of it? It just goes, the clock comes down the stairs, was recorded arse about face, in so much as the drums were the last thing to be played on it. Most bands will confirm that this is a preposterous way to make a, re- a record. Micro Disney were, however, flat broke at the time and could only afford initially to demo the songs with a drum machine. Under the influence of acid, Cockle's mind was behaving unusually and he'd stopped answering to his own name, concerned that nobody in England could pronounce it. The T in his Christian name is silent. He was now calling himself Blah Blah. It was all shaping up excellently. What a great little <laughs> it's a good intro, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's, it's just a really unusual album. And it's, it's a real little gem. You should listen to it immediately. I think I'm glad you mentioned the vocals, though. Yeah. I found them, I couldn't get past them. Like that, like it, I hate that that I couldn't get past them. I know it's such a lame criticism, but every now and then there can be a blocker on a record for me, and this was too much for me. I just found it so hard to get through. Why? I just thought it was too much. I thought it was too of its time, too abrasive, too. I don't know. It just it didn't it didn't sit right on my ear. And I know I, I even I I tried, and I was like, "You're gonna sound like such a prick." Yeah, but you shouldn't have to drive. You don't like it. You don't like it. That's couldn't couldn't get through it. I don't think it stands up as well as the blades, for example. Mm. Um, Certainly, I found some of the, the lyrics kind of annoying. <laughs> I found I didn't some get of the lyrics at all. The cadence just stood out ways. to me. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, when this, I knew this was going to be in there, and um, 
I just had a feeling and because it's just Michael Disney are one of these bands, you know, kind of way, like I, I kind of feel like they're one of those Irish bands. Whenever just someone does a I, I actually don't I don't mean in any negative way about Michael Disney, but someone does a let's let's name them the top, you know, 50 Irish albums of all time. You know, people just go, right, we need a Michael Disney album. We're going to need some Blades. We're going to need a couple of U2. You know, I can imagine that kind of conversation happening. And um, I just I found <laughs> some of the lyrics meant like in the first track again, like the Golden Horde, the first track. I if I don't like it, just not a fan. Um, horse overboard, and it goes through it, and then you know the reveal of the song is the end. Is my wife is a horse, and when he sang that line, I was just like, oh, what's this going to yeah. be like, you know? And there'd already been a couple of, you know, like uh, the cadences of some of the phrasings were kind of odd. Did you find it a bit slapdash in ways? Well, I, I've and written a bit down. Don't careish. I've, I've, I've unfocused is one of the things that I have written. Unfocused, you know. Um, I think it's quirky. I think it's interesting. Lots of stuff I hadn't heard before. I love all that kind of side of it. I love that it's, you know, he wasn't singing like, you know, your normal singer sings. I like that. I like when people don't, you know, the, all the lines in a song have to be the same length and hit the four, four by, you know, hit the bar you know, at the top of the bar and, and all that kind of stuff. But I still just, I just found it hard to listen to. Now, saying that, the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. But I, there was just a lot of stuff on it that I was wasn't, you know. I know. I think sometimes when, when you listen to music and the vocals in particular, you're not quite sure if you like them. Like I remember the f- first time I heard the frames, I went, "Oh, that guy's got a very unusual voice." And I grew to to I, I love Glenn Hansard's vo- vocals now. Same with Kathy Davy. I was listening to her going, and I, she's outstanding. She she really is. Mm. Uh, Kate Bush, someone else as well. Uh, I'm not a big massive Kate Bush fan, but I think her her voice is incredible. Um, well, Carl Cochran, his voice was a similar thing. It's like, I don't know really what to make of this, but it kind of it kind of grows in you. Sounds now, like we, Squeeze, isn't it? Doesn't it? To remind, I, yeah. just, I just like, kept hearing Squeeze everywhere. And for some reason, I, I thought of the Smiths more with this record than I did uh, yeah, with I Blue and Heaven. I just got this feel of them wearing, like I wasn't, I didn't actually Google image them, but I was got the feel of sort of flowery, big, Blousy shirts and a sort of disaffected way of dancing. Well, at the um, time they used to get the Hall and Oates uh, comparisons all the time, and yeah. I, I don't necessarily hear that. I think it's probably it's probably one of those lazy comparisons because there's two key people in it. But I don't really hear Hall and Oates in that at all. I, I don't know. Does anyone no, else? No, no, no. no I heard no Hall and Oates. Got Hall Notes are <coughs> Hall Notes are so sharp and like almost clinical and precise. Yeah. My favorite song actually was um, "Money for Trams," the last track. I, I thought that was it's I think it's great it's, it's spoken but there's a lot of spoken word it's really weird there's a spoken word song called you know, on the song Genius where he's like I am a god picnic picnic you know that bit <laughs> I was like I guess sometimes sometimes those albums um, that are a little bit off the beam of what's happening at the time are, are the ones that kind of stick with people like I mean I, I this you know I, I don't know what I was doing when this was released probably nothing particularly interesting because it was was quite young, probably wanting to play football for Liverpool or something. Um, but, you know, this and stuff like Horse Drawn Wishes by Roller Skate Skinny, which is entirely different, but it was just different to, to everything else that was around at the time. They kind of stick, they stick in your mind. Mm. Because, you know, when I w- w- listened to a lot of stuff from this time back many years ago, this for me was different to all the other stuff that I listened to, certainly from Ireland anyway. I did like this album. I just didn't like it as much as some of 
the other albums that we listened to and I was very interested to hear it because I'd heard so much about Micro Disney over the years that to hear them in ways and to, to hear a song like Birthday Girl and, and realise that of course I know this song I've known this song for years I've just never known that it was or never really connected the dots that it was Micro Disney that were doing it and that this is what they sounded like and this is Cahill Coughlin and uh, Sean O'Hagan uh, and you know that I, I just hadn't put it all together really but I mean it was kind of fascinating as almost like a piece of its time as well it's very of its time it feels like the album as our installation and that's fine I mean like there's obviously you know an audience for that and you know even in recent years some of the popical island bands in Dublin would kind of have a similar vibe where it's like meant to sound like you're at a party where you know it's it's all a bit ramshackle and like that person doesn't sit great on my own my own ear I'm not really into it but I totally understand why people would be and as a result I found myself admiring this more than actually liking it um, I I, to- I was going to say that exact thing yeah, I, I appreciate it I said it so there you go yeah, well I was going to say it I said it to your brain you can call it a pleasant listen again if you want to. yeah <laughs> it's very nice no I think I agree I appreciate it more than I, I enjoyed it I think yeah, which is difficult. I mean, like, like even like you know, I, like you come away from like a film and you're like, oh, I really want to like this more, but I find myself kind of just sitting back and being like, yeah, I, I see where you're going for. It's kind of like like you know, it's like a party that I wouldn't necessarily want to go to, but you know, maybe I talk to the people after the party or something. Yeah, <laughs> we're going with this. You so might name check the party and say, oh yeah, I was that there. In the, yeah. <laughs> I was there, but you weren't really. Yeah, I'll check in. Or I'll check I think I think we said something you're similar. Listen to Limp Bizkit. Let <laughs> 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 it go. <laughs> They have a few good songs, right? Like, let's be honest now. Rearrange. Well, you, you, you can say the name now. Go on. Re- Rearrange is a great track. Like I mean, like, that's a really impressive Limp Bizkit song. You know, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna go deep on Limp Bizkit. I'd I'd leave all this stuff in. You can give him a special uh, Limp Bizkit revisit podcast. <laughs> okay, so Paul Brady, Back to Center, is our final record of the evening, and it sounds like this. I wanna take you to the island and trace your footprints in the sand. And in the evening, when the sun goes down, we'll make love to the sound of the ocean. So, Paul Brady, a contentious figure, not for Nadine O'Regan. Oh, no, he is a contentious figure. And we were just talking about, um, I suppose, songs that maybe the man in the street wouldn't whistle along to. And you see, Paul Brady is the opposite of this. And when everybody was picking their album that they would talk about in this podcast, I was at late to the party and... uh, (laughs) I got the email from Kieran going, oh, you know, Micro Disney is gone and Blue in Heaven is gone and the Blades are gone. And I was like, oh, yeah, I know what's coming. I've got Paul Brady. (laughs) So everyone else is going to look 10 times cooler than me. However, right, I'm going to say this, right? I actually love Paul Brady. And I love Paul Brady in the way that I also love Phil Collins. Um, And not because it's becoming retrospectively cool to like either of those figures, but because when I was small, um, my dad used to play music in the car all the time. And that was kind of one of the ways I first got introduced to music. So he played music on tapes and his tapes were things like Fleetwood Mac, Phil Collins and uh, Paul Brady. So actually Back to the Centre is an album that not only do I know, but I know incredibly well because he only had a finite number of tapes in that car. And we used to listen to it absolutely all the time. So for me to hear um, the album again, 
I, you know, it's funny because initially I was like, oh, is that one of the albums I know? And then I was like, not only do I know it, I know all the words. I know what was on the first side and the second side. And uh, for me, it has this amazing quality to it because it actually is a real driving album. It's a real on the road album. If you listen to the production, it's very, very smooth. Eric Clapton is one of the guests on this album. Yeah. Uh, Larry Mullen is also in there. And Loudon Wainwright actually is also I in I saw in that the in the credits. I was like, yeah, oh, okay. because kind of Paul Brady is, is quietly a, a phenomenal musician whether you like or dislike his shtick or his maybe a tendency towards I suppose a kind of an emotional reach that not everybody's going to get along with and he's certainly not the coolest figure in music he's somebody who is uh, a fine musician and the thing about this album is that it has these kind of very very velvety grooves that you can fall into whereas the other albums that we're talking about in the list they're kind of difficult and wayward in their way they are cool uh, and they're hip this is not a cool or a hip album but what it does have is it has a sense in the same way that Tom Petty has a sense of just this very true and uh, comfortable quality and Paul Brady almost all the time through this album he's hiding his own sort of melancholic his natural tendency towards uh, a more melancholy vibe and there's a line actually on I suppose the most famous track on the album where he, The Island where he says this wasn't meant to be no sad song and I feel like that's his modus operandi for most of what he does he's actually almost in his essence a very melancholic musician similar to Van Morrison actually in that respect but he's always disguising it with very bright grooves and a very very comfortable production so you might feel as though you're being carried along but then always all the time there's these flecks of misery coming to kind of poke at you and say well actually he's a very sad man. I think that from from that perspective uh, for me he makes for a very interesting listen and then there's also of course the genre mixing I mean he was a member of Planksty for a while he was coming from a trad background he decided to move into a pop direction and then he became somebody who really for a time could have been absolutely enormous. I mean, he, he, he was and, and is a very big musician. I mean, he's somebody, he's one of the only people that we're talking about here that can actually walk onto the Late Late Show, sit down and be interviewed as a guest. And th- that is just a fact. Um, and the, the, there is a reason for that. You know, he's, he's somebody who at a certain point could have gone close to Elton John in, in terms of his actual stature as a musician. And actually he talks in an interview about how his mother was very disappointed that he didn't get to the Elton John on kind of level and she used to kind of wonder about it and she'd say you know do you think that maybe you weren't as good a piano player <laughs> and I mean yeah. of course a lot of it does boil down to personality um, I think he has as I was saying a, a very sort of um, complicated personality and I think that's reflected in, in some of the lines and the lyrics uh, but yeah I mean for me look I mean he's of a piece in my mind with the likes of Robert Palmer or actually there's some echoes of Tom Petty there as well I have no issue with middle of the road rock I love alternative music but I love stuff that's so middle of the road it's practically got two white lines yeah. <laughs> I mean back nearby. to the centre I mean it, it's if it's <laughs> if it, it, it sounds good, like it's a, a, a <laughs> subtitle for, for middle of the road it is <laughs> I, th- I nearly think that uh, without being God I keep saying I don't want to be unfair but like be, 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 take those gloves off go on well no I, on. I just because I, I, give I it do, to a straight I want to be fair to all the albums but I mean this is so middle of the road for me mm. but actually you know something <laughs> it's not bad as a result of it I mean this is my first ever Paul Brady album uh, and I can't believe that it's uh, it's got the island on it which is the only <laughs> probably song that I knew of his but it does it does kind of sound like it could be so I've written down I've written down right I've written down 
Two songs could have been used in 80s detective videos. Do you know what they could have been as well, right? You know, Mannequin came out in like yeah, 1987. Yeah, totally. And actually, if you think of now, this track isn't on it, Nobody Knows. But if you actually listen to Nobody Knows, it's actually a synth-led track. And it's very, very floaty and effortless feeling. And actually, if Paul Brady looked different, if he acted differently, if he slightly orientated his music differently, there would have been a very kind of different audience for his music. I fully agree. I think, you know, if his personality was a lot more boisterous as as some of his writing can be, like, I mean, like, I, I've heard him interviewed and, like, even kind of, like, you know, like, in some kind of more kind of intimate settings. And it's not so much that he sounds resentful, but I wonder if he is resentful because there's definitely that thing. There's, like, why there was a glass ceiling for him for whatever reason. And I don't think he believes that there should have been, but I do agree with you that it comes down completely to, you know, you mentioned earlier on the idea of a frontman versus a lead singer. And I think, you know, in that aspect for him to jump into the, be this kind of household name and this big massive thing he needed to wear it more on himself and for whatever reason just can't I suppose I always got the impression of Paul Brady as a, uh, a songwriter first yeah. Yeah. as opposed to uh, a front man yeah. and <clears throat> for me I mean he's been he's just been omnipresent throughout my entire life so I never really questioned him that sound like a really bad thing you know he's just there he'd be <laughs> like you'd see he'd be on like he'd be on the late late or whatever yeah. he'd be He'd be he'd be there when you were younger on the beatbox or something like that. You know, he'd be just be there. Was like he one Paul of the people was when there. you were walking your dog that you asked about the records that you were doing? Uh, no, because, uh, you know, like you say, Paul Brady has a much bigger name than most of those artists. Yeah. So that's why I didn't ask them about Paul Brady, <laughs> you know. I would my never. dad has a Paul, like a best of Paul Brady um, collection. So um, I know so he's just know, like a, a musician who's been there for years to me. I would a, never put him in the same same sentence as Elton John. I don't mean that as an insult to either of them. I'd always I'd always think of him more in a Van Morrison type mm. yeah. uh, songwriter. Exactly. You, you you totally summed him up for me. He is yeah, a, yeah. a songwriter and, and, and a singer. Uh, but incredible as well. Um, I'm, I'm not too familiar with this album, but I do. I know lots of of his songs, and um, you know whether I love them all is debatable. But I love some of them. Well, there's a track, yeah. the second track, um, "Wheel of Heartbreak." Mm. I, 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 I was so surprised by how that was great. You know that name mm. though, man. Wheel. Uh, well, see, this is the thing. Adventure novel, like no, but this is the thing about Paul Brady, and there is there's a thing in Ireland. There's a you know. A lot of people can write melodies and a lot of people can write lyrics and but not a lot of people can write melodies and lyrics and some of Paul Brady's lyrics some of them not all of them some of them every now and again can be a little bit like you know a little bit you know middle of the road they can be <laughs> a little bit sort of back to the center back, you know sometimes they can be a little bit like you know what's the phrase like we're making love um, facing the ocean spray or whatever it was, you know, and I'm kind of going, you know, I don't know, I just, there's a bit of that. But at the same time, it takes a skill for you not to care about that because, you you know, your melodies are good and your, you know, your your harmonies, your musical harmonies are good. And he's very good at that. It's He's, he's got a lot of skill throughout this. Mm. And sometimes it's modeling and sometimes it's, it's, like there's a lot of money in the production here, you know. Oh, there's so L- much money. Like I was thinking, because because the blades, the keyboard sounds and it can 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 sound like fairly. Ch- some of the blade stuff sounds quite cheap. Do you know what's lovely about this though is to yeah, and about lo- certain things like this, you can get someone like like Nadine sitting here, and she loved it when she was a kid. Okay, maybe you didn't love it as a kid. Maybe you loved aspects of the kid, but the, all these years later, it's you hard can to still, separate the two. You, you yeah. can you can still appreciate it. And is that not is that not the essence of of a, of a, a really fine album? Well, I, I I just just like I'm not saying I'm actually surprised by how good I found the album. 
is is kind of my point. Uh, what, what I was getting to, like, you know, <laughs> it's very very easy to listen to. It's very polished. It's very smooth. I think you said all those things, you know. And I it's also find it a very pleasant listen. I found it a very pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> no, but not even that. Like I found it. I just, okay, okay. It wasn't. It's not. I'm not being challenged by this in the way that perhaps I was being by maybe the golden. Of course, board. you know, it's a Paul Brady record. I yeah. know, but but <laughs> I know, but the thing about it is, is that. I can imagine totally, like, I can imagine generation, like, you know, parents in cars with kids and, you know, grandparents. And mortgages uh, and things to worry about. And, and like, it, it being absolutely... Paul is speaking to them, but he's not interfering with the smooth groove that <laughs> Eric is helping him with. <laughs> More importantly, at the time, did he own the fax machine? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Who knows? But one thing I actually did want to say about it is um, I thought it was interesting that the Blue Niles, A Walk Across the Rooftops, an album I really loved, record, uh, yeah. came out in 1984. And I actually felt like that you could hear elements of the Blue Nile threaded through the Paul Brady sound if you were looking for it. Again, slightly disguised by the context and the kind of velvety vibe to it and the money that's been poured into it. But uh, they're not as far apart as they might initially seem. I never even thought of that, but yeah, you're spot on. I mean, like, mm. but I feel like a song like, like the Downtown Lights is streets above something like the island. Yeah, well, you see, the no, thing is, right? very different. Okay, the, the thing I love about the Blue Nile, right, is that I suppose they, they have this way about them where they're so insecure and unsure and everything is sort of an open question and they're sort of comfortable within that. They're sort of telling you all the time that they're sort of shy, but they're also on the stage and they're introverted but they're doing something very extroverted and fundamentally the contradictions inherent in the Blue Nile is what I think most people love about them that they're so kind of complicated and in a very strange way there's aspects of Paul Brady that to my mind bring that up as well because like I said he's he's miserable but he's providing you with these upbeat and bouncy Mm -hmm. uh, elements and he's disguising it so you're actually getting more than you think. The Island, though, how do we feel about that in general as a, as, as a song that's often hailed as one of the greatest ever written by some people? I, I, I had a friend of mine listen to it, actually, and he noted that, uh, I just want to write this down to give him the records of credit, he said, uh, it sounds like Don McLean playing Candle in the Wind on the piano in the bar that Cheers was shot in. And I was like, that's, yeah, I can see that. It's too much for me, The Island. Like, I mean, I, I get it as, like, an absolute kind of massive uh, part of his sound, but I suppose... It's it's one of those ones that's kind of passed into like it is candle in the wind sort of territory, mm-hmm. and I think I probably am a little bit too much to the to the left of that to be able to completely embrace it. It was actually the other songs on the album that I was responding to more. A lot of people like middle of the road stuff, and I'd also say that a lot of people like hamburgers. And a lot of the time, you want to go and eat some interesting food and whatever, and then sometimes you just want a burger, and there's nothing wrong with that. If Paul Brady is the burger, that's fine. That's an analogy. I, uh, the imagery of this. Like <laughs> right. Uh, right. Okay. Um, is, is that the time? It's time to try and pick a winner from this bunch. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll come back and we'll do just that. Okay. Let's try and decide uh, what is worth a revisit. Uh, whether there's more than one, we will find out. We'll start with Niall. Um, I'm going to pick the one that I was uh, championing. I guess the Golden Horde, just because it's a uh, it's a curious album. It's a uh, it's a unique album. It's got. Uh, doesn't even sound like an Irish album like I said it's a mix of punk and surf pop and all sorts of weird stuff Ramones meet B-52s and that really appealed to me as something that was very different where you can kind of get a sense where some of the other albums like Blue in Heaven and The Blades and Micro Disney that there's there's pressure there from like to deliver an album um, and The Golden Horde just sounds like somebody was having a great time and I think anyone can get a 
get the, that can rub off on the listener as well. So uh, the Golden Horde. It's a good argument, isn't it? Uh, so I'm going to go with Blue in Heaven with uh, All the God's Men because it was uh, an album that I had never heard a thing from before. I didn't really know anything about the band other than what I then went and researched. And I really liked the way I felt that it could sit alongside a lot of the contemporary stuff I'm listening to. And yeah it was just it was really catchy you know like little and they they sounded like they meant it as well I mean I know I was talking about Paul Brady there but I mean people know Paul Brady and I don't think he needs any more discovery on that perspective and I liked I very much uh, like for example The Blades as well but as a discovery for me Blue in Heaven would be the one Alright Dan? Well there's no point in me really saying my criticism is there because <laughs> everyone kind of said it was kind of oh I like that and then they dissed it um, <laughs> so yeah Discovery, like oh god. Uh, well, I probably, I probably be Golden Horde Blades, Golden Horde Blades, uh, the Blades a little bit more so because I totally agree with, with what you're talking about. But uh, I suppose I've listened to, I've listened to Blades a little bit more in the last couple of days, so I'm a little bit more drawn to it. Um, I, I just kind of think there's a there's a, there's an energy about it. Yes, okay, I, I do get the, the the point that someone made earlier on that it's there's a few things and I go oh, that that's strange that's on it. it, it does sound a little bit like certain songs were put put on there as well. Maybe it, there's not a, a theme, but I suppose you don't. Um, we don't know what uh, the pressures and the constraints of the band were at the time. But as as a bunch of songs, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty strong album. Yeah, I'm kind of torn between Golden Horde and the Blades as well. I think Niall's recommendation is very very strong. I would pick the Blades though over them simply because I do think that it's a very good story and I do think it's a great record that shouldn't be overlooked and I think you know in looking at the, where the story might go I think this is quite a good not so much first chapter but if you've never heard of them before it should be your first chapter so I would go the Blades Karen um, I am I could I could vote for any of Blue in Heaven the Golden Horde of the Blades um, as an album to go and to visit you know for people who don't who don't know uh, any of those albums Um I think, I think the album though that I th- think for me I could probably recommend the most out of this list is probably the Blades. I think, uh, with a half a vote for the Golden Horde and half a vote for Blue in Heaven as well. Yeah, I mean, like it's obviously a recommendation situation where, like, you know, you don't need to just pick the Blades, but I guess you know it, it guards most. I, I think the fact that like albums cropped up here that I never like the Golden Horde, I never would have even, I never heard it before. I never, I, I, even on my first listen, I was like. Yeah, it's not really pulling it together for me, but it does. That's certainly something I like about it, yeah. is that I didn't know anything about it. I'd never heard about it before, and the, the title is great as well. <laughs> <laughs> it jumps out. Chocolate Biscuit Conspiracy. Um, okay, well, so, I mean, you know, so I think it's our, our recommended album for the revisit for this show is is The Blades. It's The Blades. Well done, lads. <laughs> uh, I expect we'll be in their liner notes for the next record, should it actually come about. Um, awesome. Okay, well, we'll have The Blades play us out. And first of all, I want to say thank you to everyone for coming in. Uh, it's been a very fun hour in which I got to be ridiculed once again over my new metal leanings from years past while also getting into some good new music. Years so. past? So are you disowning Limp Bizkit? I can never fully disown your, by the, fir- your by first the way, love. Is, is that your Crazy Town album over there? They're playing. Yes. By the time this, uh, this podcast comes out, they may have already played. But uh, yeah. Amazing. Uh, okay, that does the revisit for this week. Uh, we'll be back to you again pretty soon and play us out The Blades and Down Market. But just before we play that song, Kieran got Paul Cleary from The Blades on the phone for an interview. 
How are you, Paul? This is uh, Kieran giving you a shout from uh, No Encore um, and the revisit. So we're delighted to say that um, Last Man in Europe was our was our album that we we're recommending people to have a listen to. Um, and I just wanted to have a quick chat with you about uh, how you feel about it and all that kind of stuff. Um, sure. I think the first thing to say was uh, it seemed like it was a long kind of uh, uh, lead up to it. Um, there right. seemed to be a little time between uh, the previous singles, and then the album came out. Was did, did that was that the case for you, or, or was it uh, was it very was did it flow, or did it was it a lot of messing, or how did it feel? Oh, <clears throat> I remember. It's like this is now what February uh, um, two thousand seventeen, and so you know it, it was made in nineteen eighty four. <clears throat> so it is a long time ago. What's that? Thirty three years ago. Um, yeah, we made this a couple of singles. Like when we started in 1977, you know, we did with no idea. We played a first gig in 70 with no idea of getting a record deal or anything like that. We started to get a crowd around 79 locally in Dublin. And, uh, uh, you know, there, there weren't that many bands around really. Uh, and uh, so we were one of the bands who were talked about that might maybe getting some sort of a, a record deal. A record deal in those days could mean like a couple of singles and stuff. But that's, you know, that that was great for us. That's all. That was the height of our ambition, really. So we kind of we signed to a, a label called Energy Records in England and uh, made a couple of singles for them. And then they 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 dropped us. I think they were a subsidiary of Polydor. So we were left there. And then we made a single for uh, over here, just for Ireland. And we made a couple of singles. So we weren't really thinking of making an album. We were always hoping that somebody would sign us for an album. But I'd nearly given up hope at that stage, you know, which was around 1983. I believe we played List in Varna. The, I think it was the last time it was the big List in Varna festival. Rory Gallagher played and, and uh, Christy Moore and, and, and Van Morrison, actually, I think. And uh, so we played that. And at that gig was a guy called Andrew Lou Goldham, who used to manage a very famous guy, really. He was uh, used to manage and, and the Spengali of the Rolling Stones. And he was a talent scout for Electra, or the E and WEA Electra Records. Mm. And I think he was he was asked to sign four or five bands worldwide, and he came to see us, and uh, he signed us to Electra in an international deal, and we we thought this was a great this was a great thing altogether. So we went to uh, the studio in I remember in Wood Green, Livington Studios in Wood Green in in London, nineteen eighty four, the year the miner strike. I remember that, and uh, with John Porter, producer, who was the Smiths producer. And uh, I think he was in Roxy Music for a while too, and that was that was great. Uh, so I suppose we were in our own bubble when we were making the record. As I said, I remember the minor strike. I mean, I still am quite left-wing and even more so then. And uh, I was really hoping that the miners would, would win. And, of course, uh, Thatcher defeated them in the end. He broke my heart, I suppose. But, um, uh, yeah, that's what I remember. But with no real idea, <clears throat> clear on, you know, when you're making an album, you've made a few yourself. You, you know, you, once, once you get into that sort of uh, studio bubble, it's very hard, really, to... Um, uh, to know how it's going or what way it will be received or, you know, how well it will be received or how badly. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you it, know, if, so as, as it happened, we were, we released it. Uh, sorry, we didn't, it didn't even get worldwide released. There were changes then, the, the dreaded record company changes at the top right. and uh, so it never seemed the light of day. Uh, I think a, a new, new people came in in Electra and, uh, you know, they wanted to dispense with this uh, Dublin band that nobody had heard of. So, we never got out of the starting blocks, which was uh, bitterly disappointing at the time. And so we just released it in Ireland because uh, our, our worldwide contract didn't even include Ireland because I suppose they thought it was it wasn't even worth uh, wasn't worth bothering with, you know. So um, so we were able to release it here. And uh, 
Well, it was well received here because we're always reasonably well received in Ireland in our own mm. country, you know. So, uh, it's, it seems like it seems like a a, a kind of a, um, eclectic. It, it it feels like at times there's a lots of different styles going on. You know, there's a bit of right. soul, there's a bit of mod stuff. There's a definitely a, yeah. you know a kind of a, a bit of jam in there. I suppose at the mm-hmm. time that kind of mm-hmm. that thing. And you know, there's a British sound, and then there's also a bit of an American sound. And that's mm-hmm. you know, is that because lots of the songs were from different eras? You know, I know there was a couple of line, slight lineup changes. Was, was mm-hmm. it because there was a lots of songs from this different times, or did it all just come? together and that's the way you wanted to put it together well I suppose that's the way I wanted to put it together but really I mean that's possibly one reason why uh, we never in a better commas made it you know because uh, we're probably uh, we had too many styles but I always like playing reggae there's a couple of sort of reggae songs uh, on it and uh, I've always liked playing reggae we started doing rehearsal I just used to feel it was just great music to sort of uh, to jam to I never really liked jamming sort of uh, uh, fast music, rock music, or blues music, but always like reggae, you sort of get into a hypnotic groove and you're playing it. So we used to do that a lot for hours and rehearsal. And I just used to really love reggae, and I liked I liked the old Jimmy Cliff stuff, I liked Bob Marley, and I liked UB40, and I liked Ken Booth, and all that stuff. And, you know, so there's reggae on it, there's a bit of soul, a bit of, uh, it's called pop rock, but that's that's what I like. I like Motown music, I also like the Beatles, I like the Jam, Clash, Pistols, that's mm-hmm. who influences. So there's too much... <clears throat> There, we may be too too many influences there, uh, possibly, and uh, you know some people like the record because of that, because it's not identified. You can't be easy pigeonholed as such, you know. Mm-hmm. But I suppose it's harder because it's harder to categorise a pigeonhole. Uh, that's why maybe people that elect, or maybe the new people decide, look, how do we market this? It's not straight rock. It's it's probably a bit too hard and edgy for pop. It's certainly not reggae. There's only a couple of reggae songs, so. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, your assessment is correct that it is. There's quite a, a large, it's quite a wide range of styles on it. You know, yeah. I was just hoping that my voice and because the band, because we played on it, that would sort of uh, sync the whole thing together as such. You know, um, well, it do, on, I mean, on repeated listens, it definitely does. But I mean, there's some real standout songs on it, like uh, stuff like "Got Soul" and "Down Market." Yeah, you know, really jump out and they 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 really stand. I mean, I presume you you still play those kind of songs, yeah? Or we do. We, we funny, we, yeah. We played you know, the Academy there last December. We played. We we opened it. We opened the seventh last man in Europe, and uh, actually we didn't do got sold. We did it got sold the Olympia last year. No, we did. We uh, we still did last man in Europe, and we still do a good few songs uh, down market and uh, another couple of songs on that album. Those are the days as well. Um, and as well as that, I suppose, take this opportunity to plug our new album, Modernize, which we released December there last yeah. year, which is, uh, you know, that's their first album since the last, first studio album since the last one in Europe. And uh, again, there are lots of different types of music on it, but I think it's even more identifiably to play, ironically, than the last one in Europe. But, but there you go. But yeah, the last one in Europe was like, because I was, I was reading a lot of George Orwell at the time as well, and um, uh, he was, uh, you know, when he wrote. Um, uh, was, uh, 1984. The, he wrote that in 1948, and the working title was uh, "The Last Man in Europe." So I, yeah. I, not a lot of people know that, as they say. So I just thought it was a nice title because I, I wrote the thing in 1984, and because of the minor strike and so on. That uh, I'd call it "The Last Man in Europe," and as it happened, it was released here in uh, 1985. But uh, so that was the key to that uh, writing in 19, uh, or, you know, recording in 1984, and, 19, and, and "The Last Man in Europe" being the working title for for uh, mm. for the. For, for 1984, the George Orwell's book. So that was that was that really. And um, you know, 
the song, I suppose, itself is the last man in Europe. I suppose it's sort of apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic, and, and that's that's what that was to be about. I mean, funnily enough, when I read the lyrics of some of my songs, I don't know, don't know about yourself. I sometimes don't even know what they're about. You know. Well, I, I'm yeah. sure. I, I'm sure I did when I was writing them. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean uh, <laughs> the lyrics. Are, there is definitely, a, you know, I suppose a left wing kind of buzz on a lot of the songs. You know, and down market it comes across, especially I think, and sure. that's a bit of an anthem for that kind of, you know, that kind of feel. I know you were heavily against sort of stuff like live or uh, self aid. Was it? In, in, sure. In, yeah. Well. Ah, look, I, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad I was against it, really, because self-hate seemed to me it was just a, a big uh, backslapping thing, really. I'm sure the, the intentions were honourable, and some people who were involved in the organisation, and indeed some of the bands. I mean, some bands were definitely apolitical. Mm. Some bands knew what they were doing and just jumped on board. I think, <clears throat> but I never liked the idea of it anyway. I mean, I just think it was, you know, it was basically for employment, and that's what it was. I mean, yeah. that's, you know. I think it's it's up to the government not to provide all the jobs, but they certainly would have to uh, make good the climate that that jobs will be there, and, and they certainly could provide some jobs. But to leave to leave it to charity, I mean, it, it reached its day there for me. I think later on that day in the phone in where Ronald McDonald came in and said there were some jobs available in McDonald's, <laughs> as if there wasn't all the time, you know, and so. Ah, look, I think that whole thing was a bit of a mess, to be honest, and I'm sort of glad I stayed away from it. I mean, I did a Rock the System gig for uh, what was then Militant Readers of uh, the very left-wing, uh, uh, I was going to say part of the Labour Party, certainly would be, uh, yeah. had some sort of affiliation to the Labour Party, and that's and, and uh, that's who I was with at the time, I suppose, their uh, legacy now would be the likes of Paul Murphy and so on. Yeah. So that's who I was really... Uh, that's who I, I played a gig for in Liberty Hall. We did when they were a rock assistant gig, I suppose, it was in opposition to self aid really, you know. Um, so, so around that time, I think that was, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it was around 1986, I think, that you you broke up. Yeah. That's right. And then you got back together um, in like 2013, I think, is that right? Yeah, we well, yeah, I did a solo album in Crooked Town in 2001 or two, and mm-hmm. uh, we played a couple of gigs uh, then, but it wasn't really The Blaze, it was just under my own name, mm-hmm. although it was most of the band. Uh, but yeah, I got the band back together. I played a gig in 2013 for Phil Shevin of the Radiators and the Pogues, the late Phil Shevin, mm-hmm. the late, great Phil Shevin, who had this great idea, I suppose, of, of having a, a memorial gig for himself while he was still alive, you know. He knew he was, he was, he was dying of cancer. And uh, it was a very brave and great idea of Phil's to, to have this concert where everyone would sing one of their own songs, one of his songs. And, uh, you know, he he asked me to do it, and reluctant as I was, I hadn't really played live probably for years. Uh, I was really quite nervous. And it was a full Olympia, not to see me on my lad, because Paul Brady and Damien Dempsey and mm. the bigger guys than me, and some more popular guys than me were, were playing. But uh, so I, I got out on stage very nervously and slashed away at an electric guitar, and I went down reasonably well. And, it just gave me confidence, and I remember thinking, God, maybe I maybe I could get the band back together. I always liked the Olympia. Mm. I'm playing the Olympia, you know. So I got someone to make a few calls to MCD on my behalf, and um, I was around August or September, and they said, yeah, you can play a gig to 2030, and I thought, well, we've you know, bitten off more than we could chew here. We haven't played for a long, long time, and uh, lo and behold, we sold out the gig, and um, we sold out two nights. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I thought yeah. we were really going to be pushed to sell out one. We sold there two nights in 2014. I couldn't believe it. And that's how much, I suppose, and I really much appreciate by me and the band. That's how much they were, they were still, we were still liked by, by the people that they were willing to go out and buy tickets to see us, you know? Yeah, and no, that was great, it's, really. It's great. That was, it's, 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 it's a great album, though. It's, it's, it's kind of stood this test of time. But just, just on that, like, 
So I guess when you when you look back at that album, would you, mm. if you ever put it on or whatever, I don't know whether you do or not. You know, I don't know if yeah. I ever put our albums on very often. I can't imagine you do either. But you know, it might go on. Would you would you listen back and think, oh, I should have done that or I should have done this or you know, how how do you feel about it now? I don't know. I possibly would have now, Ken, to be honest. I mean, I, I, I'll ask you, if, if I probably won't be around in 30 years' time, but somebody will ask you in 30 years' time what you, of your, what you think of your albums, and I think it'll be so far removed from what's mm. going on today, you'll be, you'll be non-plus, you'll be scratching your head looking for an honest answer, you know? But I think um, a few years later, I suppose, is when I would listen to it occasionally or, some, or hear something, I would then think I, I should have, you know, maybe I should have left that out, I should have put that in. I think... I think most people, whether they be, you know, uh, filmmakers or poets or, you know, painters, uh, artists, I think um, when we create art and when we create something, you know, we do our best at the time and that's what we feel and, and we embellish it with how we, how we feel it should be embellished and so on. And of course we change ever so slightly and therefore our, our ideas and vision of what good art is uh, changes. So yeah, I think our opinions change, like, you know, our opinions on most things. And so... Yes, I would have. A couple of years later, hearing some stuff, I would have thought, genius. But now, I suppose, it's gone full. I'm happy to be too strong a word, but I'm certainly, I'm certainly proud of it. I think it's an album I stand over. It's an album of songs. I'm proud of the songs. I think we recorded them reasonably well. I thought we played very well, particularly Jake Riley, our drummer, I think. You know, he was slightly nervous going in to do a full album because he's very modest, Jake. He's a cracking drummer. He's, he's so good. I mean, he's even got better with age. But, um... When he went in, he was a bit nervous about doing the whole album, but really, he, he really uh, stepped up to the plate, as they say, and, and he played really well on it, you know. And, and uh, I am proud. I think it's a great album. And, and I feel privileged and thanks that you chose it for, for that year. I'm not sure what, was it, what our competition was that year for albums. Well, but, I'll tell you um, if you want. Um, maybe you yeah. know some of, some of the other bands. Uh, Blue and Heaven was one right. of the bands. All the Gods, man. Um, the Golden Horde, the Chocolate Biscuit right. Conspiracy. Um, we had uh, the um, Micro Disney, the clock comes down the stairs, and uh, right. and uh, uh, Paul Brady out out to the center with the with the. Oh, the, uh, the, that's that's we're, we're in we're certainly in good company there with with yeah. most of those bands, you know. Oh, that's great. Now, look, I, yeah, it's very. I, people do still still talk about the album, and uh, you know, not a lot of people. Some people do, you know. Have it, I have things in perspective. Yeah. Some people still talk about and when they do. There's nobody like most people have nice things to say about it. They all have a favorite track, whether it be Down Mark or Got Soul or Talk About Listening or even The Fast When A Chance to Stop. I think it was that's, uh, a, great, I think that's, that's a great one, yeah. It was one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a good pop song. I think a lot of people like, like that one too. So, you know, when we were making it, we, we, we did imagine that it would be sold worldwide. And, uh, mm. you know, we thought we were taking it up a level. We had played in Dublin and Ireland and, uh, you know, England. For, for a few years and thought, well, we're going to the next stage now, you know. So it really is, I have very mixed emotions about it. I have good memories of making the album, the actual uh, creative work, and the singing and the playing guitars. And uh, I remember playing electric guitar. And I, you know, I had a huge, big stack of amplifiers. And <laughs> clicking on that track the last round, you were just crashing the cards. It just felt great, you know. Mm. And uh, and then, as I said, to... Uh, the app they put on hold, we were getting calls that, oh, maybe might be released now, we'll wait for another month. And we all just started, I started to really realise that, look, this is this is going south very quickly, you know. And that's really disappointing when you're, I don't know, 23, 24 years of age, you know. You know, you, you sort of think you're on your way and then you're told, sorry, son, you know. <laughs> um, well, you came so out with, was, with, a, with a great album and uh, congratulations. Oh, uh, well, thanks. It. And, yeah, and it is something, and it is something to... Uh, 
when you when you do something that you're reasonably proud of, uh, you, people can't take that away from you, you know. And uh, it is nice to be talking about. Uh, it's as I said in 2017. It's nice to be talking about an album that we made in 1984. You know, uh, it really is. And. Um, Better, better late than never. Although some, a lot of people did say it was a good album. It got reasonably well reviewed, even in the English music papers, you know. So, and they didn't even know about the plays. It was you two they knew about, obviously, you know. But, um, so you've got you've got a new album out now. A new album, modernised, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, we'd be playing. We can't do too many gigs. We don't really have a. Uh, the following to do too many, but we can do a few, you know. So we'll be doing one of the summer festivals, I'm sure, and possibly one or two others, and certainly we'll be doing a gig around December of 2017. I'm really not sure of uh, which ones we're doing yet. I'm still talking to MCD about all that, you know. Mm. But, uh, uh, yeah, look, we really enjoy playing, and uh, we have a great crowd, and they really they really are supportive, and they, you know, uh, well, we really do have a, have a good time at the gigs, as as do they, and it's just it's just great. It's great to be able to play again, and we wouldn't be able to do it if the people didn't want us to. It's a cliche, but if they don't buy the tickets, come and see us. We don't play anymore. You know? So it's great, really. I never thought we'd, that we'd get a, a second bite of it. Yeah, it's really, it's great, you know. And uh, the band, particularly Jake and Brian, are really enthusiastic. They're like, you know, they haven't aged. Not only, <laughs> <laughs> not only in their mind, but uh, they they put me to shame. Like they, they haven't really aged that much physically either, you know. So, yeah. And they're able to do it. You know, play, you know yourself playing bass, guitar, and drums. It's, it's they're very physical things, really, particularly drums. You know, and Jacob Ryan, they're they're really super fit, really. You know. Well, um, anyway, go on. I was going to say thanks very much for talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, yeah, so uh, congratulations again on the album, and look forward to the new stuff. And sure, we'll see you around. Okay, thanks, Kieran. Thanks very much, Paul. Cheers. Bye. Bye.
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church VA. 844-759-7732. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.